0: This is Todd from the Junkyard Outreach. Welcome, and thanks for joining me. For more information and episodes, check out junkyardoutreach.com. Psalm 56, verse 10. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you. O God, I render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 56 was written by King David, and David experienced a lot of stress due to so many people being against him during many seasons in his life, not just one, but several. And the stress often reveals itself in his writings as it does here. Now, many of us, we do not have as many enemies as David had. He had many, and some were actively trying to kill him, including a psychotic father-in-law who just happened to be the king of Israel. But despite the number of enemies we may or may not have, fear can really screw up our relationship with Jesus and rob us of our peace and create a constant desperation within our soul that really makes life miserable. And add to that the devil's influence as he and his army continually influence us with their deceptive whispering into our spirit, those things that steer us away from the light and into the darkness. We can absolutely become a slave to fear. And as Paul says in Romans six sixteen, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, of obedience which leads to righteousness. So fear can become our master. Now healthy fear is good, but fear that oppresses us is not. Now there's a few examples of people in the scriptures who dealt with fear, along with what caused it and their response. So see if you can relate. Start with Adam, Genesis 310, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So Adam rebelled against God and now realizing he was busted tried to run from God. How did he deal with this situation? Genesis 3.12. The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. He blamed everything on his wife and God. It's not my fault. It's hers. It's yours, God. You gave her to me. And as a result, God gave him and his wife the boot, and they lost the garden. And we're all still suffering for his sin. If we own our own mistakes, it's so much better in the long run compared to trying to justify our stupidity. And that's what Adam did. And that led him into a place where he was afraid. Rather than just suck it up and fall on his face before God and say, God, I have sinned. Nope, the woman that you gave to me. So when we blame shift, it can bring us to that place where fear becomes our master. Jacob in Genesis thirty two six and the messengers returned to Jacob saying we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and there are four hundred men with him then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it then the camp that is left will escape so Jacob's fear was justified because he had deceived his father into giving him his brother's blessing, which was a major betrayal of trust, not only to his father, but to his brother. And he flees for several years, and then upon coming home, he tries to butter up his brother with a bunch of livestock to appease his anger. Then he finds out Esau's headed his way with a small army, and Jacob goes to his knees where he should have been all along. Jacob comes clean with God. He admits he's totally unworthy and pleads with God for intervention. And God delivers Jacob from Esau and appears to have appeased Esau's rage. So for those who have done something really crappy to somebody, and now the consequences are knocking at your door or perhaps crashing down on your head later in life, coming clean with the Lord and that person, is a good place to start. And I had to do this on more than one occasion. God said, you're going to make it right with this person. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Yep, you did this. You're going to make it right. So God made it clear that this was something I was going to do. And he said no whining. So ultimately, I did it after whining about it. And it worked out. And the scriptures speak a lot about confession. And when we think of confession as simply admitting to God we have done something wrong, that's totally off track. Confessing our sins means that we look at our sins the same way that God looks at our sins and say, look what I've done. This is wrong, Lord. I want to distance myself as far away from this as I can. So we confess our sins to one another, including those we have wronged. And that can have a powerful effect on a strained relationship. James five sixteen Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. So Jacob's situation worked out when he surrendered to God. Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. When God had called Moses, he did it in a way that caught Moses off guard. God began to speak to Moses audibly from a bush that was on fire, and it freaked Moses out. And it would have freaked us out too. He was experiencing the presence of God and it terrified him because he had only heard about God and never actually encountered him. And when new believers come to Jesus, and in that process of maturing, there are times when God's presence is thick in the room. That can be scary. It's like, oh my gosh, this is real. And I'm experiencing him right now. And as you grow, it's like, oh yes, I was in the room and God showed up. We say things like that. and Obviously, God's always there, but he made himself known in his presence. We long for that. But when that's never happened to you, and all of a sudden you sense that God's here, yeah, it can be pretty frightening. When we realize God is real and that he is now eyeballing us personally, that can create a fear of God that is really scary. But that fear of the Lord, as the scriptures put it, can be a huge blessing if we surrender to God and walk in that fear. As a child of God, we need to have the fear of God. It has a positive effect on our relationship. Just do a search for fear of the Lord, and you find all kinds of good stuff. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord is to hate evil, all these kind of things. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Those are verses, just a few, that illuminate the fact that the fear of the Lord is a good thing in our life. But it took Moses a bit to come around, and his fear of the Lord transitioned from a terror to a healthy fear of his new king, and he maintained that fear throughout his life, and he was blessed because of of it. So surrendering our lives to God takes that fear of God and turns it into a positive. It doesn't eliminate the fear of God. You don't want to walk around not fearing God. That's a bad thing. And then you're gonna get in all kinds of mess up situations. First Samuel 1812, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Saul went crazy after he realized God was going to give his kingdom over to David. His fear was not healthy fear. It was a terror, and he knew that God was opposing him. And Saul never appears to have repented and went to his death opposing God when he could have repented and surrendered to the Lord. But for the majority of his reign, he was tormented by the fear that God was on the side of David and against him. And I think there are many who have this kind of fear of God, not the healthy fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, as it says in Proverbs, but rather a terror of the Lord to those who know they are opposed to God or they are enemies of God. Outside of a relationship with God, we are enemies of God plain and simple. There is no half-hearted kind of friend, kind of enemy. There's a clear line. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. If you're for Jesus, you're denying yourself. You're taking up your cross and you are following him. And if you're doing things that are stupid, not repenting, you are not following Jesus. You are not for him. You are against him. I had to reconcile that one. I didn't like that, but I found out, you know, it's true. David, in 1 Chronicles 13, 12, David was afraid of God that day, and he said, How can I bring the ark of God home to me? So, David, in his zeal for God, ordered the ark of the covenant to be transported on a cart and not the shoulders of the Levites, as prescribed in the law. And as a result, a man gets killed because he touches that holy ark, that's the most holy article in the temple, or in this case, the tabernacle. And David's transporting on a cart. The oxen stumble, a guy reaches out to grab it and strikes him dead, and David is now, oh man, what did I do? And David was a believer, and he was overjoyed that he's being able to bring that ark up, but he now realized he really screwed up, and the result of his mistake was a death of a good man. So what do we do when we do something stupid and bad consequences come about David stopped what he was doing, he regrouped, and he didn't continue until he understood what he needed to do. And he figured out that the Ark of the Covenant needed to be transported by the Levites. That's the descendants of Jacob's son, Levi. They were the ministers of Israel. And whether he had prior knowledge and just disregarded it, or if he was truly ignorant, we don't know. But there is a reason God commands kings to know the law. And in Deuteronomy 17:18 it says, And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, talking about the king, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That's what David didn't do. So assuming David didn't know how to transport the ark, the lesson is clear know the word to avoid these types of mistakes that bring about swift consequences. Nehemiah 2 and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? There's nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah had a calling on his life to return to Jerusalem and to begin to rebuild it, but he had a good job working for the king who was not a believer. When the king noticed Nehemiah's sad face, he calls him on it. Now Nehemiah must reveal his burden to an unbelieving king Jerusalem was lying in ruins. Nehemiah was a Jew and God had put on his heart, go back and rebuild it. So when God gives us directions and we must share it with our unbelieving peers or bosses, we can easily become afraid because we don't know what they'll think. How will this affect my job? What will happen if they say no and God says yes? We'll have to quit or we'll have to get into it with them. You know, you don't know. The unknowns can paralyze our willingness to obey our calling. But Nehemiah, however, lays it out knowing that God's calling him to do it and that God is bigger than the king. Do not fear sharing what God is calling you to do in your job or anywhere else. If God says go, he'll make it work. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 56.3 When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. For every kind of fear, there's a solution. God's word holds the answer. His Holy Spirit has the comfort, the power, the conviction, direction, etc. to overcome this fear. So, ask yourself a question, my child of God, filled with the Holy Spirit and obeying Jesus. If so, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. For those who are not children of God, Jesus is the answer to the question, what am I supposed to do? You come to Jesus. Acts 3.19-19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Come to Christ. He will teach you by his Holy Spirit to overcome fear through him. And you'll be blessed. Thank you.